Hi folks, this is Ron Longwell, and I'm glad you're here today for another edition of the Jesus Society Podcast, a conversation exploring relationship, renewal, and purpose in the kingdom of God. This is episode 18 uh, of the Jesus Society Podcast. This is a, uh, um, I said last week, um, uh, the episode that you heard last week, um, that today is, um, today is, uh, I'm recording this I recorded two episodes uh, today. This is the second of them back to back. So it's a two for day. Um, I'm recording this on June 11th, um, Thursday, June 11th. This episode will drop um, on the 22nd, I believe. Um, so um, that's kind of that's kind of the way this is going. Um, so two episodes today. So um, trying to trying to keep the energy up, stay positive, and say say. Stay tanked about all this. Um, so, what are we going to talk about today? Well, if you're listening to this, you've already seen the title of the episode, Nurturing People in the Kingdom of God. And so you kind of know a little bit about what we're doing. Um, but part of the journey that God has called us all uh, on is to invite others into the journey. You know, we, we've, we've talked about this. God wants, he wants to invite people into his circle. Like he wants us to, to have a relationship with him and he wants us to invite more people in, right? He's, that he created us for community, okay? Um, so uh, Christianity has built in some words that kind of talk about some of these sort of inviting activities. Um, we talk about evangelism. Uh, we talk about discipleship, right? And there are some more modern church words that that try to kind of get the same thing. Um, words like conversion, um, a big word, proselytization. Um, sometimes we'll talk about soul winning, right? The problem in all this is that is that a lot of those words have become a bit tainted for some of us um, because the way we've seen them used. Um, we, have, we have seen people engaged in some of those activities who are manipulative, uh, aggressive, uh, forceful, relentless. Uh, we've seen those things done in ways that have been damaging and uh, abusive and, and self-serving. So the, the ick factor is up pretty high for some of us on, on some of that kind of stuff. Um, at, at one point early in my training as a minister, we went on a door knocking campaign. And if, if you're a, if you're an advocate of door knocking campaigns, then you should skip forward a couple seconds because you know we'd go up and knock on these people's doors, and they they had the same expression that I have when somebody knocks on my door. <laughs> Right? They're like, oh gosh. And our job was to try to immediately grab a hold of them with something desperate that, that motivated them to allow them to allow us to come in and share the gospel with them. And, and I just felt, I felt very strongly like we were, we were manipulating people to get an edge on them. And we had this, we had this slick little program that, you know, we walk them through a, a bunch of verses trying to get them to, to make a decision and agree to give their life to Jesus and be baptized. And and the whole thing just felt um, slick and polished and just a bit manipulative. So we, we've all seen things like that, right? 
And it has given us a bad taste in our mouth for some of that kind of stuff. Now, I don't have any real problem with the Bible words, provided we understanding understand them correctly, which we don't always. But what I want to talk about today um, is the, the need to help others along the way that fits within the kingdom values that we've been discussing for the last 17 ep- episodes. Um, and for me, the word that I use the most to try to talk about that kind of stuff is the word nurture. Uh, spiritual nurture is how we help people uh, find and grow into a deeper personal engagement with God and to live in a fuller experience of his love. Um, you, you've heard me say this, and, and I'm going I'm to keep saying it because I think it's really true and I think, we, I think we just need to get this. If we know God loves us, we'll trust him more. And the more we trust him, the more of ourselves we will surrender to him. And the more of ourselves we surrender to him, the more he can change us. And because you cannot give what you do not have, the more he changes us, the more fully we can love and bless and nurture others. As we, as we learn to rest in Jesus' love, and as he untwists all the twisted places within us and, and frees us from all the things we're bound up by, we reach a place where we can fully participate in the peace and rest of God. And that is just not something we can keep to ourselves. When we, when we get to that, that point that God has changed us so much and, and we're living in such freedom and joy and hope and, and, and peace, it's, it's just hard, hard to keep that to yourself, right? Um, God always redeems us. For the sake of others, He blesses us so that we can be a blessing. These are the things that I've written about. They're things I've talked about in this podcast. They're also things that I share with others in relational conversations across tables, in living rooms, and over cups of coffee. And I drink a lot of coffee. Um, in fact, I'm going to have some now. This is cup number three for the morning. One of the big paradigm shifts in all this for me has been to start thinking about the church differently and to start seeing the church as what, what I believe it is, what I believe it is supposed to be. And it, and it takes into account all of the, all the relational stuff that we've been talking about since day one. The church is a family. The church, as Jesus conceived it, it's not an institution. It's not an organization. It's certainly not a business. It is a family. And it should function as a family would function, which is very different from how corporate or institutional churches usually function. Now, if you're a, if you're, I know some of you uh, um, are, are, are kind of steeped in the big institutional church, and I love you. I adore you. You know who you are. Um, you also probably know that I I have some concerns about it, about big institutional corporate churches. Um, the, but the church is a family, okay? I, I, I say all that to say, I, I, if you're offended by any of this, I apologize. I love you. You know I love you. Um, 
But this is this is what I think. Okay, the church is supposed to be a family. So how do healthy families function? All healthy families, healthy families. And I know, I know there are a lot of broken families. I grew up in a kind of a broken family. Okay, so I I know. I know that not everybody is part of a healthy family, and I and my heart hurts for you. Um, I, I I want everybody to experience that, and even though you may not have grown up in a in a functional healthy family, you can be part of one if you find a good church. Okay, um, so so how do healthy families function? All healthy families are built around mutual love unfailing support and the expectation of growth toward health and maturity. Our churches should be that, okay? So um, as we think about this, a piece of this that we have to talk a bit about is what exactly constitutes spiritual health. And you should know that over the last, uh, well, in a lot of ways over the last about 15 years, I've been sort of picking away at this, okay? But really over the last four years, I've been working hard at trying to understand this. Um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a concept that, that, that we use, that I use a lot. Um, if you look up spiritual health in Scripture, you're never going to find it, okay? So that's part of the challenge here. Um, so so how, do we, how, do we, how do we understand that? How do we define it? How do we describe it, Okay. Um, so in, in addition to, to reading and studying a lot, um, I have had conversations over the last four years with a number of church leaders, Bible scholars, theologians, and strong, strong Christians that, that I think are, are, are living th- this kind of engaged life with God uh, that I really respect. One of the things that's been a little surprising uh, to me in this quest is that pretty much everyone that I have talked to about this has struggled a little bit to articulate a convincing and consistent definition of spiritual health. I think I think it's something we we assume uh, in Christianity, but it's, it's something we just don't talk about as much. And I think we should talk about it. So we're going to talk about it today. One of the one of the brightest theologians that I know. When I emailed him, and asked him, you know, I figured if anybody had thought about this, because he is so engaged with God and so he's a he's a very contemplative sort. Um, and I thought if anybody has thought about this, it's you know he'd be able to just give me a a quick little easy easy thing. And he emailed me back. And, and he said this, and this is, a, this is a direct quote. He said, well, I sat down to rip out a quick definition and I see the problem. <laughs> and he talked about several things and, and in his response. And in the end, he said, as a Christian, I guess I, I like to see it in terms of Christ-likeness. And I chuckled a little bit at that. Because one of the things we theologians joke about sometimes is that the safe answer to any difficult theological question is Jesus. <laughs> you know, if somebody asks you something and you're stumped on how to answer, just say Jesus, <laughs> right? You can't go far wrong. But of course, he's right. Um, we're, we're healthy and mature to exactly the extent that we think and love and live like Jesus. 
And, and we could stop right there and be fine. But I didn't. <laughs> I eventually came up um, with my own definition of spiritual health that I'm, I'm satisfied with. I, I like it, naturally. You may not like it, but I like it. And at this point, I just bet you're dying to hear it. <laughs> In the end, for me, spiritual health involves four things. And for me, um, this all mostly grows out of Ephesians 3, uh, 14 through 20. You can, you can pretty much get all of it out of the book of Ephesians. Um, in, in fact, a friend reminded me yesterday of, a, of another verse in Ephesians that I hadn't really read that way, and like it kind of brightened this. Eddie, you know who you are. I love you. <laughs> um, but for me, a lot of this grows out of Ephesians 3, 14 through 20. So um, spiritual health involves four things. Number one, a growing awareness and experience of God's love. Number two, a deeper and more thorough, genuine trust in God. In the nitty-gritty of life, you just trust God to carry you through and you're living a little more peacefully, okay? Number three, greater, greater wholeness as a person. I'm going to say more about that part in just a minute. And number four, sound theological thinking and reflection. And by sound, I mean healthy, okay? Uh, that which produces life, okay? Sound theological thinking leads to life, Okay, um, that's important. So, so together, those four things, I think, encapsulate what Paul is praying for on behalf of the Ephesians in Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. The idea of being filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. My opinion is that most of our churches have most often focused primarily on uh, developing number four, uh, sound and sometimes unsound, theological thinking, while at best kind of assuming the rest, okay? Um, at worst, not giving any thought at all to the rest, okay? We have, we have tended to camp out on education as a way of producing spiritual health and maturity. If we just know more, right? And I, I could go on a rant about this. Like we just study more, you know, or the, the churches that I have mostly been part of, Churches of Christ, um, we have doubled down on, you know, if, if, we, if you want to grow, you just need to study more. You need to study more personally. We need to have more Bible classes. You need to come to Sunday morning Bible class, Sunday night Bible class, Wednesday night Bible class. And if you can squeeze in some more Bible classes, you know, gosh, we need more Bible classes. Well, you know, because you, you've been listening to this podcast, I'm all about Bible, right? I couldn't be more um, enamored with Scripture. It is it is so important, but but we you know knowledge alone just doesn't like there's more to all this than just that okay. Um, if we're to help our people reach maturity, we've got to do a significantly better job of nurturing all four of those components that I mentioned. Um, learning to live loved. Is, is a lot more than learning that you are loved, right? Uh, you, you can read in Scripture that, you know, you can read John 3.16 and come away with the idea God loves me, okay? 
But learning to live loved is more than that. It is learning to live out of that awareness, secure in the conviction that God loves you desperately, stubbornly, and to filter all of life's happenings through that conviction. And as helpful as theological education can be in understanding the love of God, learning to live loved is just not something that we merely study our way into. It is a, it is a place to stand or a, a state of being that God himself wins us to. Um, having spent two years in a Bible college and five years in seminary, I can tell you that a degree in biblical study can be proof of intelligence or discipline, but not spirituality. I can, I can absolutely tell you that. But spiritual health involves not just theological education, but also emotional and behavioral health and wholeness. Okay, that's... Um, that's number uh, number three in my little list there, okay? Um, emotional and behavioral health and wholeness, okay? Now, some of us need some counseling to help us get there, okay? Um, part of our brokenness, and this is, this is one of the great things of modern society that we understand, right? Um, that sometimes we need a little help, and there's, there's help everywhere. Um, one of the things I said and I think I might have talked a little bit about this. My, my father was an alcoholic, and and that there was a lot of brokenness in our home. But in his world, and I said this at his funeral, in his world, way back when, what did you do if you were broken and and needed some, um, you know, needed some help getting through some of your, you know, the broken childhood that he had and. Uh, you know what? Where you couldn't just go on the internet and look stuff up. Um, you couldn't. You couldn't go to a bookstore and find twenty thousand self help books to help you process this on your own. And to go to a counselor was a sign of weakness back then. So people avoided that. My dad did. You know. So so what do you do about all that? Well, for my dad and for a lot of people in his generation, you turn to the bottle, or to drugs or something, right? Um, we, we have junk in our life that we need to kind of get hold of and, and um, get sort of untwisted. I talk about Jesus untwisting the twisted places in us. Um, part of that learn is, is learning to, to grapple with our emotions, right? Um, emotional intelligence is a, is a term. You ought to look it up. Um, it, it's, a, it's an important thing. Um, Peter Scazzaro uh, called emotional intelligence the inseparable link between emotional health and spiritual maturity. He says that it is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And I think that is absolutely right. Okay? So I, I'm not a counselor. I'm, I'm not, I don't pretend to be a counselor. So I'm not giving counseling advice here, but I can tell you this is important stuff. And all of us, at one degree or another, probably need to work through some stuff like this. Um, emotional health involves four things. Number one, self-awareness, which is what's, what's going on inside you, right? And, and the way a lot of us handle that is we just we stay busy or we, or we keep the noise level up so high that we don't ever have to 
engage the junk going on inside us. We're, we're scared to death of silence because that's when all the voices start coming out. We don't like that, right? But, it, but that's part of emotional health, right? Um, self-awareness, self-management, which is uh, emotional control, uh, self-control and adaptability. Social awareness, which is uh, learning to be attentive to the emotions of other people and developing the capacity for empathy. And relationship management is the fourth part of emotional health, um, which is the capacity to respond constructed, constructively in, um, in, you know, when you're in conflict with somebody, being able to respond constructively and not to react, um, to be able to respond constructively to loss, um, uh, or, or, or in the, the, you know, if you're in a position where you need to inspire or build teams or develop others, being able to respond constructively to the relational dimensions of those things, right? Um, Brene Brown, in her book, uh, Rising Strong, which is very good, uh, she says this. She says, while some researchers and clinicians argue that you can change your life just by changing your thoughts or your actions or your feelings, I have seen no evidence in my research that real transformation happens until we address all three as equally important parts of a whole, parts that are inextricably connected to one another like a three-legged stool. So thoughts, actions, and feelings. So spiritual growth, spiritual health, particularly this emotional health that we're talking about, involves learning to, to pay attention to all three of these things, thinking, behavior, and feelings. It is, it is just not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature, right? Um, and I would say that even learning to think soundly theologically is not something that occurs in the abstract, but in conversation with Scripture, with the rest of your life, and with others who are on the same journey. Scripture is meant to, to integrate with real life, and it, it is just silly to think that we can really understand Scripture apart from a lived faith, okay? The point in all this, though, is that spiritual health is a decidedly multifaceted endeavor, okay? So, because all of that is true, because spiritual health is so multifaceted, the role of leaders in God's family is primarily that of providing loving spiritual nurture, of helping people move through the multifaceted dimensions of growth. Okay, and if the if the church is to be thought of as a family, think about this: Who are the leaders in a family? In your family at home, who are the leaders? The parents, right? In any healthy family. The leaders are the parents. They are, they are the ones who provide for and protect and nurture their children toward adulthood. And if you've raised kids, you know, for instance, that a two-year-old needs very different things than a 17-year-old. And all of that nurturing, which is, which is just rooted in relationship, over time happens in the family environment relationally and with no small amount of love, okay? 
So if the church is a family, we should we need to be looking for those spiritual mothers and fathers in the group. And they're probably not going to be the rulers or the managers or the board of directors. They're the, they're the nurturers loving their quote-unquote children as God does, drawing them into a deeper, deeper knowledge of and dependence on and trust in God and into greater wholeness in Him. That's why in 1 Timothy 3 and, and the book of Titus uh, 1, when Paul gives instructions on who to appoint as elders of churches, this is why he puts such a tremendous emphasis on how they've nurtured their own families. Because, let's face it, if you, if you can't be a good spiritual father to your own family, you will never be that in the church. Anybody that thinks they can have, have, have a wreck for a family and somehow be a, an effective leader in God's church, you're deceiving yourselves. If you can't do it with two or three or four in your own household where you have control, you will never do it in a church. Healthy families have loving, nurturing, strong mothers and fathers. And we're not talking about positions here, uh, titles, offices, salaried professionals. We're talking about mothering and fathering spiritually. It's a, it's a relational role, and the Bible calls it shepherding. And if you want to know what that looks like, Look at Ezekiel chapter 34 and, and read the first um, 16 verses. I'm not going to read all those today, but I'm going to read, read 8 through about, about 8 through 16. Um, so, so what's going on in Ezekiel 34? God tells Ezekiel to prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, against the leaders of Israel, okay? Because they're not doing their job. They're, they're looking out for themselves. They're feeding themselves off the flock. They're devouring the flock for their own food. And they're not taking care of and they're not nurturing um, the, the flock of Israel, which, are, which is God's flock. And so God is going to take the... He says, I'm going to take it, the, the flock back for myself. And he's going to shepherd that flock himself. Here's what he says. This is starting in verse 8. Ezekiel 34, verse 8. As I live... This is the declaration of the Lord God. Because my flock, lacking a shepherd, has become prey and food for every wild animal. And because my shepherds do not search for my flock, and because the shepherds feed themselves rather than my flock, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. Look, I am against the shepherds. I will demand my flock from them and prevent them from shepherding the flock. The shepherds will no longer feed themselves, for I will rescue my flock from their mouths so that they will not be food for them. For this is what the Lord God says, See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among the scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and total darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, and bring them to their own soil. 
I will shepherd them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in the inhabited places of the land. I will tend them in good pasture, and their grazing places uh, will be on Israel's lofty mountains. There they will lie down in a good grazing place. They will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will tend my flocks and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured, and strengthen the weak. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will shepherd them with justice. Woo. See, all this ties into everything we've been talking about, right? God says, I'm going to shepherd these people myself. And it looks like nurturing because that's what shepherds do. They protect and they nurture. In the New Testament, in John 10, uh, verses 11 through 15, Jesus says that he himself is the example of what a shepherd, a good shepherd, looks like. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. That happens because he's a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. But I'm a good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. See the relational piece there? Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. God's heart for his people is that they will be nurtured toward greater intimacy with him. And in that that environment, they will grow in love and wholeness and health. That is what spiritual moms and dads do. And in the church, in the kingdom of God, we desperately need more spiritual moms and dads. We don't need more visionary leaders We don't need more corporate tycoons. We don't need more businessmen or financial gurus. We need spiritual mothers and fathers. One of my my friends who is a a, a minister at a large church, he says church leaders are typically um, concerned about three things. He calls them the three Bs. Butts, buildings, and budgets. (laughs) That is not what God's concerned about, okay? Boy, that sounded harsh, didn't it? Um, Sorry. (laughs) We need spiritual mothers and fathers, people whose primary roles are what should be thought of as soul care. And I'm not talking about hiring people to fill positions. Oh, we need somebody to do soul care. Let's, Let's put out a call and gather resumes. Ick, no. I'm talking about people who just function that way because God has trained them to function that way. And I'll just say this, and this is going to, boy, I'm I'm pulling out my harsh stuff. (laughs) But here it is. Like, I got to say this. If you look around your church and no one is functioning that way, if you can't identify anybody functioning as a spiritual mother or father, your church is completely and utterly broken. It goes without saying that love begets love. Wholeness begets wholeness. Trust begets trust. You cannot give what you do not have. 
So spiritual moms and dads are themselves the product of an environment where spiritual nurture is the norm. And they themselves are continuing to learn to live loved, deepening their own trust in God, growing in their own wholeness, and engaging in sound theological thinking and reflection. And and I just can't say it any plainer than this. The people that should be leading the church are the people who are already leading the church. And I mean functioning as spiritual mothers and fathers to others. That is what leadership looks like. Nurturing others toward greater intimacy and dependence on God. And this is the job of ordinary followers of Jesus, not professionals. Contrary to popular belief, we are all called to pastor. Um, That word pastor... The word simply means shepherd. You can even hear it in the word. Pasture sounds like pastor. Sounds like pasture, which is where you put put sheep, right? It is is it an agrarian term? It means to tend and to to shepherd. You know, in this case, people. Um, And we're all called to do that at some level or another. Titus 2, verses 3 through 5, says that older women are to shepherd the younger women. Uh, Ephesians 6, verse 4, says that parents are to shepherd their children. Uh, Timothy was told, 2 Timothy 2, 2, to teach others what he himself had been taught. Here's what I want you to really get from all this. Um, There are a lot of you who are exactly the kind of people that I'm talking about here. You've got a heart for God. You've sorted through a lot of your own junk. You are secure in your relationship with your father and you love people. You're not perfect because none of us are perfect, but you've kind of got it together spiritually for the most part. But some of you have been convinced that you can't really do anything important because you don't know enough. If I had a nickel for every time I've heard somebody say, well, I'd do more, but I just don't know enough, I would have a lot of nickels. Um, but you've been convinced that because you don't know enough or because you don't think you have the gift of teaching, and, and we, we only think of teaching as standing up in front of a large group of people with a blackboard, right? Which is all teaching doesn't happen there. Right, I would say the most significant kind of teaching doesn't happen in those environments, um, or because you think because you think you're not you're not comfortable getting up in front of people. Again, we think only thing the only thing important happens if we're standing in front of a group of people, because that's what we've been taught to think. And what I so desperately want you to hear is that the majority of real kingdom work doesn't happen in an auditorium but around a coffee table or a dinner table or around a campfire or while you're taking a walk with somebody. If you have been nurturing your own family successfully, you can nurture other people. And you are exactly the kind of people God wants to use to nurture and bless others and to grow his kingdom. Forget about all the churchy professional ministry roles. Love God and love others. And here's the the thing. Folks, golly, I wish everybody could could grasp this. If you can read, you can teach your kids to read, right? If you can cook, 
you can teach someone else to cook. If you can do small engine repair, you can teach somebody else to do small engine repair. You know, for the vast majority of human history, people learn things by becoming apprentices to people that already knew them, right? If you can do something, you can teach somebody else to do it. And if you have been following Jesus and are growing closer to him, you can help someone else follow Jesus and grow closer to him. This is not rocket science. And we have made all of this way too complicated in our churches. The idea that you have to have an answer to every convoluted question that somebody might ask before you even consider trying to nurture faith in someone else is malarkey. Poppycock, I say. (laughs) Jesus says, Freely you have received. Freely give. Matthew 10, 8. Love as you have been loved. Whatever the Lord has given you, give it away. Whatever he has taught you, teach others. The kingdom of God desperately needs people who will, not in in any kind of heavy-handed, controlling, manipulative way, just come alongside people and walk with them supporting them, strengthening them, helping them avoid the landmines that you can see in life because you've walked a little further, the spiritual landmines, and they haven't, so you're kind of protecting them, speaking life into them as you both walk together toward Jesus. Be a, be a spiritual mother to someone be a spiritual father to someone. Be a there's a there's a there's an old term that, that you, you never hear it much anymore. Um, it, it came out of um, it came out of I think medieval Christianity where um, it's it, the ter- they, they talked about being a soul friend, a soul friend. I love that. I love that image because it implies it doesn't it doesn't imply somebody that's got power over somebody else but it involved it it, it's the picture of two people walking together on the same journey one's just walked a little further than the other one and so we're just going to be friends friendship spiritual friendship is what we're talking about here okay so be a spiritual mother to someone be a spiritual father to someone um forget about the offices and the titles and the salary that uh, that have, in my opinion, too often just poisoned church ministry. Just love people. Just love people. I very much see my role as a spiritual father, um, coming alongside people and, and walking them, with them, nurturing them toward a deeper deeper experience of Jesus. It's, it's relational discipleship. It is life on life, heart to heart. It is a shared walk. With Jesus, and I believe down to my toes that we will never be the blessing that God wants us to be in this world if we can't get past ourselves and begin to move toward a place of spiritual health and wholeness that better reflects His presence in us, and then to just share that with others in a in a friendship sort of way. That's what Jesus is trying to do with us. 
That's what he's trying to do in us. That is how he wants to build his kingdom. And with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll join us again next week. Um, we would appreciate it if you'd tell others about the podcast. Um, if you enjoy the show, please uh, subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you go. Um, the, the the subscribing and the rating and the reviewing, that's how we get a bigger audience. That's how that's, this podcast shows up. I want I want everybody to hear this. Um, I, I want, I'm not trying to build up my own kingdom here, but I just... I think this stuff is so important. I want I want everybody to at least hear it. Um, so h- help me um, if you think this is valuable. Don't do it. Don't do it if you don't find this valuable. But if you think it's helpful, share it with other people. Um, please visit us on our Facebook group uh, for the Jesus Society podcast. Uh, just search Jesus Society podcast. Uh, I'm sure you'll find it. Um, Feel free to chime in, suggest uh, topics for episodes, um, ask questions, tell us tell us your own story. Okay, that stuff is so the stories of other people is so helpful. Um, check out our website also, uh, thejesussociety.com. Um, we're, we're every episode is posted there. Uh, as time goes by, I, I intend to do more things. All I need is twenty eight or thirty hours in a day. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I hope you'll be back. And remember, you are greatly loved.